November 11th, 2009, it's the Watt from Pedro Show.
can dance, you can jive, having the time of your life. Ooh, see that girl, watch that scene, digging the dancing queen. Friday night and the lights are low. Looking out for the place to go. They play the right music Getting in the swing You come to look for a king Anybody could be that guy Night is young and the music's high With a bit of rock music Everything's fine You're in the mood for a dance And when you get the chance You are the dancing queen Young and sweet, only seventeen Dancing queen Feel the beat from the tambourine You can dance, you can jive Having the time of your life that scene, digging the dancing
Watt from Pedro's show. Wednesday, the 11th day of the 11th month, 2009. <clears throat> Just back from Sao Paulo, Brazil. And uh, four days ago, November 7, was the first gig for uh, Iggy and the Stooges 2009. Uh, James Williamson on the guitar. Uh, Scott Ashton on the drums, of course, Ig singing. Brother Steve McKay on the sax, a little keyboard, some tambourine. And, uh, yeah, myself, Mike Watt, uh, playing Rob Power, Ron Ashton bass lines. And uh, it's a pretty intense gig. I was so, so nervous. Uh, today, I'm just in my pad by myself. Uh, right before the gig, we played the Planeta Terra Festival 2009 in Sao Paulo. And um, right before, after the sound check, but before we, maybe an hour or two before we left for the gig, had Chow near the tell and... Uh, did an interview with James Williamson. Uh, very interesting. Last show, we had an interview from 2001, February 27th, I believe, with Ron Ashton in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so, uh, a neat thing to follow up with James. Uh, about his musical journey. Uh, hell, it was like uh, 80, mm, I don't know, 84 minutes or something, 82 minutes. Uh, so maybe we get into it right now, uh, at least the first part of it, and finish it up in the next hour. Uh, yeah, it was an emotional gig. Uh, Really, it was. I was so nervous. <laughs> he said I could wear black flannel, so I got a black flannel, solid black. And uh, Ikosan said maybe black Levi's to go with it. I've never worn black Levi's. I hardly wear black outfits. I can't remember. When I last, I think in Minutemen days I had a black button shirt I got at a thrift store once. I know I had a dark, dark blue one, but I think I had a black one too, maybe. I wore it a couple times, or practice. But anyway, uh, let's get right to, uh, oh, did I say what we started? <laughs> I didn't say the songs, sorry. We started off the show with John Coltrane doing Three Little Words. And then we heard Dancing Queen, Petra Hayden's uh, a cappella version. Uh, I think uh, she did it for a barbershop quartet girl group, but uh, that's all her there. Give them something to shoot for. And uh, then we heard Shake Appeal, Iggy and the Stooges. Uh, something James gave me, uh, a remastered version of the album and the, that was Shake Appeal from that. And without any further ado, from uh, 
November 7, 2009, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, Mr. James Williams. Oh, yeah, and you'll hear another cat, a uh, younger man, uh, he brought to help him with uh, changing guitars and stuff, uh, a guy named Derek. Great cat. Uh, anyway, here we go. Watt from Pedro Show. This is probably not inner conversation, but you guys are guys. The one, the thing that put my wife off a little bit, it was the first gig she ever saw. We were at the whiskey, and there was a uh, kind of a hooded um, uh, walkway that came from upstairs dressing rooms all the way down to the stage, right? And so when it was time to come on, Iggy decided he needed to take a piss. So he's pissed all the way down the, the walkway, going going uh, on the stage. <laughs> That's creative. It's November 7, 2009. Uh, I'm in Sao Paulo here with James Williams. You there? Um, James, where did you grow up? Where were you a boy? Where was I born and where did I grow up? Well, I was, I was born outside of uh, San Antonio, Texas, in a little town called Castroville, which is a little kind of one-horse uh, Alsatian town, uh, maybe 20 minutes out of San Antonio. And my father was the only doctor in the town, so, you know, country doctor, and... Uh, but he passed away when I was four and so then we moved into San Antonio and a few years later my mom remarried an army colonel and so I became an army grad and um, so we lived in San Antonio for a few years and then we moved to around a bit moved to Oklahoma to Lawton Oklahoma and then um, and then ended up in, in Michigan in Detroit um. Music. When did you first get turned on? What's your first experience with music? Well, is it San Antonio there? Really? No, in Lawton actually. Lawton. Um, yeah, I um, I got my first guitar was a, a Sears Silvertone F hole guitar. And it had um, you know the action on it was about you know two inches high, right? Stick your hand and between I'm, the yeah, strings. Yeah, I'm trying to play this thing and. Wasn't working, but anyway, I decided uh, I probably needed some help. So my mom popped for some lessons from a local guy, and I—I I always forget whether his name was Rusty Sparks or Rusty McDonald, but I think it was Rusty McDonald. Anyway, he—he uh, he also had a local country and western, you know, TV show. So um, he taught me to play a few things, you know, like good old Mountain Dew and so forth. And, and then as soon as I could actually play them, he put me on his show. Wow! So so then a lot of a lot of my friends saw me. And I you know I got I had the how old were you then? Um, I was in seventh grade, so like thirteen. Yeah. Uh, what made you want to get that silver tone in the first place? Um, you know, I had gotten exposed to Elvis early on from my sister um, 
I thought it looked pretty cool. I'd like to play it. But were you listening to records or radio? Yeah. I listened to records from uh, from my that my sister's boyfriend would bring over forty five. Um, and what yeah. made guitar? Oh, because Elvis played one. I was thinking yeah. rather than drums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I got that. I got going with that, but I didn't do much with it. <clears throat> and then when <clears throat> when I moved to Detroit, it just so happened that I moved next door to a, a family <clears throat> called the Blacks, and their their whole family played music. The oldest boy was a folk singer in college and stuff, and pretty good, you know, kind of like the Kingston Trio kind of guys. And uh, the younger boy, Ken, was... Oh, they had a band. They had a real band, yeah. Because in uh, Oklahoma, they weren't in a band. This is Detroit now. Yeah, right, but before that, Oklahoma, I was we're never in a band. band, no, so. But you went on to the show. But, yeah, I went on to the show. Did you do a recital? So I, so I got showbiz, you know. Would you do, like, a solo tune? Yeah, I just played and, and, and sang the song, right? Wow. Yeah, and, you know, they, were, they, had, a, they had a really good country and western band, you know. They had a you know, steel guitar player and all these guys that could really kick ass, you know. They were country guys. Right, you know? right, right. So. They're backing you. Yeah, more or less. You know, like, cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, trying to make me look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, did you have a stage name? No, it was okay. my name. And so anyway, uh, in Detroit, I moved next to this family, and this guy that was a couple years older than me could really play guitar pretty good. He played electric guitar, and so you know, I decided I actually was going to learn how to play it. So I spent my entire first summer. Um, hanging out at his house, learning how to play bar chords. And well, how old are you at this point? Eight, uh, going into eighth grade. Oh, so it's not too long after. No. Okay. And um, you know, he got me so I could could do all the you know necessary stuff. And um, then he got me, you know, sort of convinced that I needed an electric guitar because it's a hell of a lot easier to play one for one thing. And um, so I did. I got a Fender Jaguar with my first electric guitar, and you know, went on from there. Right. Did you make a band with him? He was just showing you stuff, right? He just showed me stuff, but you know, so we progressed through. You know, this is about the time when when the Beatles are breaking, right? And so three, yeah. And so, um, you know, very quickly, it, everything evolved from sort of the Beach Boys to the Beatles. Yeah. And, um, but I learned how to play surf music and you know, all that kind of stuff, too. It's the Jaguar. Yeah, you, well, you had, you had to do it. Um, oh, what about amp? I had a, a Sears Silvertone amp. So you didn't leave the silver tone all behind. No, you kept no. Being. Well, I had my uncle work for Sears, ah. so he could get me a discount. You know, right, right, right. I've always been partial to the discount. <laughs> <laughs> and they're pretty good little amps, really. And anyway, I didn't know any better. Um, so 
Um, the first band was, I guess it was in ninth grade, and we put together a, uh, a band that did, you know, Stones covers and things like that. And that was the Chosen Field. And that's where I first met Ronnie, because um, the band th went through various different iterations, but I mean, I left the band like by the end of ninth grade, but uh, I still knew all the guys, and so you know when I'd come back, I'd you know check them out, and, um, and Ronnie um, started playing bass for. So, were you in the band then, or you no, not? Really I was the not in the band then. Um, so I happened, <clears throat> I happened to be going up to a gig with him, and I got to see Ron play and. And Iggy was there too, so I met him at the same time. Did you do gigs with Chosen Few? What were the gigs like? Well, ninth graders, I'm trying to think. Yeah, mostly we we would do um, you know like high school um, auditoriums and things like that for dances. Yeah, because this is your first gigs, right? My first gig. Besides yeah. the TV show. Yeah, you know, we do Stones covers, and the singer could do a pretty good Mick Jagger, you know. And so we would, you know, we'd play those things, and kids like that. Um, and then later I, I sort of played around with some other guys in different bands and stuff, so we were, we were convincing. I mean, you could, could we could actually, you know, do the progressions and play the... You know, pretty things, stuff, and uh, he'd listen to records and listen copy to records and copy them. You know, Yardbirds. And, but when did you uh, start writing? Well, that's the that's the funny thing is I started almost immediately because I uh, was having trouble, uh, you know, learning all the other songs from other people, and so it was just easier for me to just you know sit around and and, and bang out my guitar and do my own stuff. Right, right, right. And, and that's what I did. And, and so I kind of developed or evolved this certain style that's kind of unique to me because that's what I did. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was what um, probably led to me being in the studio in the first place was because Ig, like I say, I met him the same night when I was up in Ann Arbor with the chosen few. And I started playing him some of my songs, you know, because he was a cool guy from the Prime Movers, and and I, I wanted to impress him, and so I, you know, played all this stuff, and but of course I, I play, you know, really fast chord progressions, yeah, right. and, and you know he was like going, you know, kind of like what the hell is this? <laughs> but he he remembered that, and. Um, you know, later on, that, that kind of, the one thing led to another, and I ended up in the band. Did you, did you see Iguanas? I never saw the Iguanas. I saw a lot of the Prime Movers. Yeah. They were, they were a great band. So you start, you're starting right, you know, did you make another band after Chosen Few? Not anything that really um, stuck. I was in a series of of bands that we tried to put together, but they didn't. They never really gelled. This is all during high school. No, well, not so much in high school, but re really. Well, yeah, I guess it was at the end, towards the end of high school. Yeah. Um, but we never, 
really gigged it or anything. We just played a lot. Right, right. And did a lot of drugs, you know. Um, but after high school, um, I moved to Ann Arbor, and that's where I. You weren't of, in Ann Arbor yet. No, I, I was in Detroit. Oh. Yeah, I would go to Ann Arbor, drive to music. Ann Arbor. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay, I understand. So, after, um, after the Stooges released the Stooges, which I heard right after they did it, because I was in New York at the time, and they Iggy came over where I was and asked me to come over to Danny Fields' house and listen to him. You had moved from Ann Arbor to New York City? No, I was just in New York just City. Visited. Yeah, and so he came by my hotel and say hi and everything. He said, "Come on over and listen to this." And so you know, it was it sounded great. Were you and there for music or just to check the town out? Just there, to check the town out. I had some buddies with me and yeah, you know, so on. But is that um, when you met Danny? I know Danny. That was yeah. That was the first time I met Danny. And um, so anyway, then when I moved up to Ann Arbor, I pretty soon after I went up there, I moved in with a bunch of the guys from the band. So like Zeke Zetner, who was the bass player then, and, and Bill Cheatham, who was a rhythm guitar player. So this is after Dave. No, Dave was still alive, but he no, wasn't but in the band anymore. That's what I meant. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Mm, let me think. So, Funhouse. Yeah, so they... That's about the time when so they... So you must have... Heard, 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 heard. That's about the time when they um, they did Funhouse. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, they still had uh, Jimmy uh, Silver managing them. Oh, we got him. But Jimmy still, Silver was still in the picture. Mm -hmm. That was just towards the end of when he was with them. And, um, yeah, you know, I mean, clearly, Bill Bill was a sweet guy, but he couldn't play guitar with the band. This is the version where we had two guitars. Yeah. And a bass, yeah. So, you know, basically they they realized that he wasn't reliable on the instrument. He's an old buddy of Roddy's, right? Well, he was a roadie, right? Oh, right. Okay. So he was buddies with everybody. Mm -hmm. Really nice guy. And the band had a history of, of um, you know, basically on-the-job training on instruments, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so they thought they could pull him together, but just wasn't going to happen. What about the the first line. Did you see them when they were called Psychedelic Stooges? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were those gigs like? You know, because I asked people, because this was the days of the one song, right? Well, yeah, I don't know if you'd call it a song, but, uh, yeah, they were, I mean, they were incredible. They, they, uh, well, I saw them before, before they ever played gigs. I saw them when they used to rehearse in their basement. And, um, they're, you know, I mean, Ashton at the, at the family house. Right? Well, it was the, no, no, not no. This was they were already living in a house together. Oh, okay. This is the Toad's Hall, right? Toad right. Hall, what they called it. And um, 
Yeah, they would just practice down in the basement, and, and uh, you know, Scotty had the oil drums, and, you know, they, they, they were wild. I mean, they really they were. They put the blender in Yeah. So I saw quite a few of those gigs at, at the Grandy Ballroom and different places. I mean, I saw all the stuff like, it, you know, if he shaving off all his eyebrows with the glitter and all that stuff. <laughs> Um, you know when they went to do the first album, they had they came back with songs. Right. Now those were those gigs different. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. They they didn't they didn't have songs. They were right. Um, they were somewhere in between John Cage and Sun Ra. Oh wow. You know, it was like um, just make they just made these sounds. Mm -hmm. But you know Iggy's such a performer. Right. Right. So. He would do all this shit, you know, and like you say, you know, he played a blender and he played a vacuum cleaner and, uh, you know, a bunch of shit like that. And everybody was so stoned that it kind of worked, you know, yeah. right? Um, then they went to California to make the Funhouse. Were those gigs different from the first album gigs? Did, did you see them with Steve McKay? I, um... I don't know if I ever did see him with McKay. I must have, but I don't remember it. Did you ever see Steve with the Carnal Kitchen and this? No, okay. no. Uh, um, so anyway, they yeah they they uh, evolved pretty quickly um, when they started. Because uh, I don't know a lot about this unit, this post Funhouse pre Raw Power. They have this kind of everything's in flux. There's some roadies. Are playing, right? Yeah. There, so there was there was after Funhouse. Yeah. Um, they um, yeah the roadies started playing. Like, right, right. Because Dave something at Goose Lake happened. Dave was well. Dave would get drunk, and so he couldn't play basically, and, and he screwed up so bad he fired him. Right, right. And you know you can't blame the guy. I mean he just he just uh, was not reliable. Yeah. Um, and did you know Dave? Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, not very well, but I knew him. So, we had a guy named uh, Recca, Jimmy Recca. Yeah, that's different. We're kind of jumping around. Oh, I'm okay. oh, sorry. So I got into the band. Oh, yeah, because Recca's in the band when you're in the band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I got into the band because Bill was also not a guitar player. Right, right. And so they wanted somebody. And, and and who's on the bass at this it. point? Zeke. Zeke, right, right. But then, very quickly... Zeke decided, you know, the band was, was getting into trouble with drugs, and, you know, Iggy was not at all reliable. And so it was up and down. Zeke finally got fed up with it and moved back to Detroit, which was the worst thing you could possibly do because he, he ended up dying of an overdose. But anyway, um, I, um, I brought in... Jimmy Recca, who, who was in one of the bands that I had, you know, one of the group of guys that I'd been playing with. Yeah. And so, so then he he was in in the final lineup that we had that, you know, is captured on that 1971 album. Right, right. Two guitars, you mm -hmm. and Roddy, Jimmy Recca, bass, Big, and Scotty. Get you guys to go to New York City and play. Yeah. I think we played, we played, yeah, or, or with the Electric Circus. Electric Circus. Yeah. 
Yeah, we did. Um, we did a kind of a a run at um, you know. By then, Jimmy Silvers was gone, and Danny Fields was managing the band. He took us to New York, and and we played some gigs, and and then uh, we were hoping that Electra would renew the record deal to make a third Electra record. Right. But uh, they didn't. Uh, a couple of the execs. Um, what was named Harvey and, and Gallucci came over to the house to hear the new music and they uh, I don't think they knew what to make of it because by then I was writing all new songs with Iggy and it, you know it was this other style so it wasn't real simple songs like they had been doing and, right. and uh, can you tell me what songs those first ones were well one of them is on the 1971 album so if uh, it's called you don't want my name, you want my action. And that one was either the first one I ever wrote or or close to it. Yeah. So that was one of them. So you can hear that. But so they're listening to this and this they're saying this isn't the old Stooges. Well, they're I can't tell um, I could just tell by the look on their face <laughs> that they, they were going like what is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we got that a lot. Yeah, 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 I imagine. But, but uh, I think the the real, you know, sort of the crowning um, event was going up to Ronnie's apartment and seeing all this Nazi shit everywhere, right? And these guys were just like, get me out of here, right? When Bill Cheatham, they asked him to leave. Hmm? Bill Cheatham. He asked him to leave, and then he says, "Hey, I've been listening to James Williams. So why don't we bring him in?" Is that how it happened? No, you know, it was kind of funny. Um, I think that they all kind of recognized. You know, Bill was you no know, dummy. I mean, he he knew he wasn't holding his own yeah. in the band, and and so I think that he kind of said, "You know, I really shouldn't be doing this," and, and they kind of said, "Yeah, you know, you're right." Right. So. So they and we had been all living together. Right, so right. They, everybody kind of was new to each other and was communicating with each other and stuff. So he said, "Well, Bill's gone. Why don't you come in, James?" Something right, like that. Exactly. Yeah. So now, what's the plan? Electra won't go. Yeah. Well. So things fell apart pretty quickly after that because there was no money coming in. We played uh, we played a couple of gigs and and then um, the kind of the crowning thing was when Scott Ashton um, was coming to a, a gig at the Grandy Ballroom and didn't see that the bridge was not high enough to, to put to drive the, the truck, truck through. <laughs> so he he basically got thrown from the truck and he's lucky he's alive and Steve McKay you end up doing the gig though right we ended up doing the gig because Steve McKay we basically told him to play the drums because we needed the money and so we played the gig it was the most so that's the first time you saw Steve play that was the first time (laughs) I saw Steve play and in fact when I I rejoined this group I call him up uh, because we were going to play a gig with the Careless Hearts um, I told him, you know, the last time I played with you, 
he were playing the drums for us, and he he uh, he remembers it well. Right? Because it was just terrible. Iggy, it was embarrassing because he had to. He had, I mean, in Steve's defense, he'd never heard the song. Yeah, right, right. And so Iggy had to sort of try to teach him the songs. That was the gig, basically, <laughs> show everybody us showing Steve how to play the drums. And and we got through it somehow and got paid, but it was really embarrassing. After that, yeah, we kind of stopped. Okay. And I got I had hepatitis by then, so and I didn't even hepatitis. know hepatitis. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I didn't even know it. And so I wasn't feeling too good. No. Um, so I ended up moving back to Detroit and staying on my sister's couch. Yeah. And um, some time went by and I got over that. And, and by then, uh, Iggy had gotten a, a record deal with Columbia. So, you know, he called me up one day and says, you know, you want to go to England? Uh, you know, I firstly I had to go have lunch with somebody. Um, forget the guy's name right now. He didn't. He wasn't even there by the time we got to England. But well, he was a main man guy. And main man was a management company. Right, David Bowie. Right, that's who got him the record deal. And um, so I had lunch at the airport, and then uh, a couple weeks later, you know, I get the call. You want to go? Like it was like. Tomorrow or something. Well, oh, you know, like I forgot that. an important thing. Yeah, what, those gigs you were doing with that that band, that uh-huh. seventy-one band. What guitar were you playing? Still have that Jaguar? SP. No, SP. Oh, okay. But I, I did still have the Jaguar. Right, but you had moved. But I wasn't playing in the band. And in fact, well, two things. One, I wish I had the Jaguar still. Sure. And secondly, I wish I had the SG still. <laughs> sure. But I, instead, I traded both of them for the Les Paul. Right. And but where'd you get the SG? Ann Arbor? No, I think I got it in Detroit. I think I brought it up to Ann Arbor oh. when I moved there. I can't remember where What'd I got it. What'd you use it. for amps? I started out using Ampegs, and, uh, and I liked them, but they weren't as biting as they needed to be for the Stooges themselves. Yeah. I sold them and got Marshalls. Okay. Yeah. So those gigs you're doing SG through Marshall? Yeah. Was it brand new? Was it a new SG? Probably was, yeah. For those days. So, Egg asked you to come to England. Right. Um, so, it was really short notice. So short that my sister didn't even really know I had already gone. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, because my girlfriend at the time called her up and, and she didn't know. And, and she, she said, um, my sister said, I don't know whether he's gone or not. And, and, and my girlfriend said, well, check the closet and see if his guitars are still there. And, and sure enough, they weren't. So oh. pretty obvious. You hadn't traded for Les Paul yet? No, I had already. Oh, you had? Yeah, I had, I had the Les Paul and I had a I had, I had something else. I can't. Remember. Maybe I still have the SG. But no, I didn't. I traded that in for that. In I Detroit. In Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. So I had Les yeah. Paul comes from Ann. Yeah. Les Paul. Uh, we're talking about is the one he's going to play tonight. I tried all these years. It's on the cover of the Raw Power. You might have look at it. 
I'm sorry to jump in here, but I just figured something interesting out about that Les Paul. We thought it was a 1970. It's mm-hmm. a 69. Because it has a, this is getting really geeky, but it has a one-piece mahogany neck. In 1970, they went to the three-piece laminate. Oh. So that's, that's a big difference in the guitar. Wow. A lot of people big time in the sound. Translates to the sound. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know either way, but... No, I know the basses are. I've been meaning to tell you that since yesterday, since I restrung it. I know the basses when they went to three pieces, different that sound than one piece. The necks are definitely more stable. More stable, but the sound is different. Maybe not as good tuning, but I think you know you're dealing with one piece of wood, so more more resonance. Yeah, I'm sorry, I jumped. No, it's cool. That's good thing to know. I get asked about that guitar all the time, so I, I wanted to talk about it. Well, it's, it's, you know, I... So you bring that guitar to England. I brought that with me to England. Yep. Did it come with you, or was he already there? No, we both went on the went plane together. together. Okay. And in fact, when we landed, they wouldn't let us in the country because we were unsavory-looking guys, and, and we had no visible means of support, even <laughs> though we just had a $100,000 record deal, which was a lot of money in those days. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they... They detained us for quite some time, and they finally got a hold of DeFreeze, and he came down and got us out He's of there. management guy. Yeah. Oh. Um, um, yeah, so that's that's that. So you're in England. You're going to write a record. Right. And so, you know, one of the first things I did was to... Um, go to a music store and get an acoustic guitar. So I got the uh, Gibson B25 Natural was what I wanted. It was kind of smaller. Yeah, yeah. And um, it turned out to be a great guitar for me. It's really kind of a shitty guitar is the truth of the matter, but it it was it was perfect for me because I liked the thin neck and it, it had pretty good action on it so I could play it okay. Because the, the, the Les Paul Custom that I was using was basically the fretless wonder thing. So, you know, there was no, hardly any frets on it at yeah, all. Yeah, right. And I had them filed down even further, you know, so it's like, I don't know how I played that thing, to be honest with you, but you could play it really fast. Um, and um, so I, I wanted an acoustic that was, you know, had some similarities, and so that's why I got that one. You could write songs on it. Right, because you can make a lot of noise, and in these English, you know, gigs that we have. Yeah, where were you staying? They started us out um, at a hotel called the Royal Gardens, which is a really posh, uh, you know, sort of a upscale hotel um, near the near is it Kensington Park. Yeah. Right off, right off of Kingston, Kingston Park, and they put us in the honeymoon suite. So here's Iggy and I in the honeymoon suite. Um, so you know, the first order of business is who gets the bed because <laughs> we're not sleeping together. And so we determined that. He was going to go out in the living room because they had a rollaway out there, and I was going to get the bed. So that's what happened. Oh, another thing I forgot to ask you: when you were playing there in Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. were you interested in other guitars? Were you, or you were just in your James world? 
Were you mm -hmm. checking out things other guys were doing? Ronnie, um, the Wayne Kramer, Fred Sonic Smith. No, you know, I I missed that whole thing. I was later, and so I saw those guys play a couple of times. Yeah, but it wasn't my style. Yeah, yeah. So, I, no, I didn't really. I mean, I knew the, all the guys knew each other and stuff a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, On the music tip, my old so singer much. formed a Scott Richard, whatever group, SRC, whatever. Yeah. It's, I forget what C stands for, but anyway, he had a couple brothers, the Quackenbush brothers, that were good guitarists. Yeah. But I thought the music stunk, and so the you know it's just guys with good technique playing crappy music. Now when you go over to England, did you guys check out some musicians there? Yeah. Yeah. The whole the whole game plan was originally to go over and put together a rhythm section from with English guys. And and they were pushing um, the main man was pushing pretty hard to do that. So we spent, you know, months several I don't know maybe maybe eight weeks or something like that roughly you know in, uh, sort of auditioning guys and you know seeing who was available and so on and I just couldn't I couldn't relate to it at all I mean I'm I'm a you know I'm from Detroit and, and here's these guys and they're all wearing like you know, really cuffed shirts and big hair and, you know, painting and doing all this stuff. And it wasn't working for me. So just one night, I remember distinctly sitting there watching TV with Jim and then in the, in the honeymoon suite. <laughs> and I said, you know, look, why don't we just bring the Ashtons over? We know those guys can play. And, uh, and just moved Ron to bass, and you know that's we had both seen Ron play bass. He's a good bass player, and um, well, that's what we did. You know, we called them up the next day, and they got on an airplane, and they were delighted to have the job. You know, there's been a lot of things said since then, but that was the that's what happened. So they come on over. Now, have you had you been writing songs besides auditioning the England guys? We had we had been uh, trying to, uh, and we also had lots of material from sort of the last uh, throws of the Stooges. So we had like stuff like "I'm Sick of You" and yeah. "I Got to Write" and yeah. that sort of thing, and um, and that's what we used. Well, after we got them over, we started rehearsing like crazy because we thought we were going to be playing a lot of gigs. Yeah. And um, we got pretty good. Um, and you got one gig. And then we got one gig. So, King Cross, and, and um, it was a great gig. And, yeah, what'd you, you play know, at that gig? Is there any recordings of that gig? Not that I know of. Yeah. But there was, you know of some? 15 minutes. Really? Who had them? I think I have it. You have it? I think I do. I need to check. But huh. What, did, what it's was on? Really it? bad quality. Oh. I think it's I'm sick of it. I got it right. Yeah, we did those two, and <laughs> and uh, but the thing is that there was like 
so many people that later would be found in bands. Right, right, that went to that game. And I did a radio thing with Steve Jones, and he told me he was there. Yeah, well, there are a lot of people in there. And then there's a lot of people who weren't there that said they were there, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. Probably <laughs> ten times the capacity of the club. <laughs> but it was, um, you know, Iggy is very confrontational. And so for the ink for the English in in basically seventy three they were horrified by this singer getting out in the audience and and uh You remember the gig good? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well he was getting in everybody's faces, especially the girls of course, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you know, after that gig, I think that was partially why we didn't get any more. Was that, you know, DeFreeze was worried that we were gonna, you know, cause some kind of a offense of some kind. Right. And oh, you're you. Mick Rock was, I think, the only guy who took pictures. Yeah, Mick Rock was was one of Bowie's photographers. Yeah, like no one else had a camera in the place. Well, but you're talking about these guys with the shirt. You had an interesting. Outfit. Well, that was later. Well, what you, you wear at that gig? I just wore a... Well, Ig's got the jacket. Yeah. And I just you know there's a, a story behind that jacket. Well, yeah. I mean, it's well, been around. But before I get to that, that yeah. I just wore blue jeans and boots and, and kind of like what I'm wearing today. Yeah, yeah. Blue jeans and a, and a white shirt and a uh, leather jacket. You know, yeah, green yeah. colored leather jacket. Um... But was but, there any influence? But yeah, but yeah. What, what what we started doing even in that gig was started putting on white face. Yeah, right? yeah. And so both of us were kind of in white face. And the, the yeah, whose idea was that? Well, it was kind of my idea, but the, but I was trying to be cool. But the truth of the matter is, is we had no skills yeah, right. up with, kind of with any kind of makeup or anything. <laughs> so it came out as, as kind of like some kind of weird, weird, very trippy, weird clown. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, while we were in England, you know, we, we spent a lot of time hanging out with Bowie and, and Ronson and... Angie Bowie and so forth and so you know they were slowly you know sort of trying to um, upgrade our wardrobe and um, and we found that one day looking around and and, um, that's where he got that jacket he was he wore it all the time over there yeah but he ended up in Hollywood I think uh, Long John Silverhand Simply for the record, guy, but Stan Lee had it for a little while. The guitar player for the Dickies. Mm-hmm. It's a whole story. Uh, really? yeah. Power, Eric Powers was asking you about that one. Yeah, there's a whole thing about that jacket. Uh, so, but you don't get any more gigs, and you gotta, you're gonna have to record, right? So you're putting right. together songs. So, so yeah. So now we're concentrating on recording. Yeah. And and what happened was we we went from one. Studio to another, trying to find the right combination of engineers, sound, you know, all that kind of stuff, and doing demos. And we kept thinking, well, it's like it's kind of like Derek and I were talking about these guitar players that buy guitars constantly, thinking that somehow that will make it yeah, better. right, right, right. And, and it was kind of like that. We were 
kept going to different studios hoping that the studio would, would, do it. <laughs> would do it for us, right? I think Sky told me you even did the Lyman studio, some songs. I don't know. I don't remember that, but we could have. Uh, you know, we did the studio where the faces recorded a lot, you know, and I think they, they did Maggie May with this engineer and all this stuff. And, and uh, anyway, we kept recording stuff like I Got a Ride, right, right. you know, I'm Sick of You, and all those things you hear the recordings from and yeah. have demos. We'd bring them back to Main Man and they'd reject them. Um, so we. Um, That's so lame because. It's your record deal, but you have to go through this filter. Yeah, because it's almost like they held the deal. They, they did, really. I mean, they, they control. They were very, very uh, controlling. They were, they, Tony, Tony DeFries thought he was, what is it? Uh, what is the Colonel Tom? Parker. That's who he was modeling himself after. And so he had very definite ideas about how to break stars and how to make them look like stars and so on. And it worked pretty well with Bowie. Yeah. And it worked so well with Bowie, in fact, that um, that he got very busy with him. Right. And, and once that happened, we actually could go about our own business because nobody was watching us anymore. Right. And that, um, that turned out to be a good thing and a bad thing at the same time because... The good thing was we made raw power and nobody stopped us. Right. And the bad thing was we did a crappy job of it because nobody had any technical skills in the studio. Yeah. And the poor engineer had to had to listen. You know, I this is my first album yeah. ever. Right. So I knew nothing. Right. And and the engineer was trying to work with us, but you know, Iggy's basically you know calling the shots because he's done albums before. Right. And, you know, he's just kind of bossy by nature. And so he's telling the he's telling the Zephyr engineer how to do everything, and of course the result is some some things. What's, what studio marginal. did you end up at? It was a new CBS, you know, Columbia studio okay. here in, in London. It was a great studio. Um, okay, there you have uh, the first part of two of a uh, spiel from James Williamson on his musical journey, done uh, November 7, 2009 in Sao Paulo, Brazil, some chow pad near the tail. Um, very interesting. Um, his journey, he's on a TV show, look at that, as a boy singing Mountain Dew. Uh, As I told him, I think it's very interesting to show people that everyone has their own path in their music journey. And that's why it's kind of relentless on uh, getting the timeline and uh, how things progress. And a lot of things, yeah, you can't predict and they just seem to happen. And uh, we're at the end of the first hour of the November 11, 2009, Watt from Pedro Show. Uh, part two, second final part of his spiel, coming in the next hour. So hold tight. November 11, 2009, second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show. And here's the second of two parts, final part, of an interview 
with James Williamson. Uh, guitarist from the Raw Power days, right? Iggy and the Stooges. And now in the new two th- 2009 version, which we did our first gig. Uh, well, a couple hours after we, we did the spiel, November 7, 2009, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, here we go. So, you know, as I as I've said to people, so, all right. Um, the thing about it is that despite all the mixes, weird mixes, all the 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 weird levels, you know, all the stuff, it's the songs that just cut through all of that and, and no matter it's like you can't stop them you know you, you can't you can't screw them up no matter how hard you try you guys had a lot of tunes though that were left off yeah yeah we didn't we you know we had been writing kind of constantly right, right. and we just picked them they made the stuff that we you know thought made kind of sounded together. did he get mixed in Cali mm-hmm. yeah did he get mixed in England because the original mix Again, um, um, main man wanted, and I, I think David Bowie wanted to, because he was producing a lot of bands back then, so Mopinuvo, all those guys. And, you know, he always was pretty good in the studio. and But we kind of had, we didn't, I don't know that I, I would say we rejected him, but let's just say we changed the subject every time it came up. And um, so then by the time we had our mixes and we were ready to release the album, of course they had to go back to Main Man. And of course the first thing they did was reject the mixes. And, and it was... Is that the whole band? Or Ig? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's Main Man, you know, discussing this with Iggy. No, but I mean when you guys, that, that mix. Well, yeah, it was kind of a, I mean the whole band was... Uh, with an engineer together in the studio and we kind of you know discussed things and, did. and it was good everybody liked it the band liked it right right and that's what we thought we were going to release but right. then when it came well, when when main man heard it of course they couldn't stand it because they never understood us anyway and um, and so the first thing they said was well you know we got to have David come in and, and salvage this right and so you know he's on tour and uh, I think they picked Western Studios in on Santa Monica. Yeah. Santa Monica, I think it is, uh, which isn't there anymore. But um, that's where he went in to mix it. And at the time, we had just come back over. Stevie so went first, and then I came out and I sat in on on most of the mixes. And. Um, you know, it was it was just really clear that he didn't. You know, this is just not David Bowie's thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. And is that your first time in Cali? Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, no. I mean, I, we had taken a car trip once. You know, when I was young. Okay. And visited Disneyland and you know things like that. But I mean, it was my first real time staying there. So, anyway, he does his mix and. And everybody in the band just absolutely hates it. Well, the Ashtons are there too. They came later, but but 
So they they weren't participating in the mix like right, I was. Because right. I heard that they got the thing in the mail. Yeah, they, well, they well, we got the records. Yeah, and, and, and Scott was... Everybody flipped out. But I mean, flew it. For me, for me though, it was more like, okay, well, at least I got an album. You know, yeah, it may sure, not sure. sound right, but I got an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I knew that it wasn't going to go anywhere because I, my girlfriend, um, uh, you know, who was way into music, I had her listen to it, and you could just tell from the look on her face that, you know, it was like, oh my God, you know. It's like, what is this? And that's that could be a good the, thing. <laughs> well, that's pretty much the reaction everybody had. So, James, what time do you have? 8.06. Yeah, 8.06. So you got a little while. So, now the record's going to come out, and you guys are now relocated mm-hmm. to Hollywood. Right. So Start we, doing gigs? We started out... Jim and I were staying at the Beverly Hills Hotel, which was really cool. Yeah. But then we had a, a limo at our disposal. And, you know, I mean, it was really high style because that's the way they wanted us to be. Um, and, well, of course, that was a terrible idea for the two of us, <laughs> you know, because you can imagine what we used that limo for. <laughs> so pretty soon they decided, well... Maybe they ought to have a little more supervision on us. And they, they found a house and they brought Lee Black Childers out to sort of, you know, live in the house. And he kind of lived above a garage off of the house. And with the rest of the band got moved up into the house. That's the one on Tory and up in Mulholland. Yeah, I took uh, Scotty up there. It's, it faces the valley. Alright. Twelve of them there so he could see it again. He hadn't seen it all these years. Yeah, for some reason Bob Matthew didn't actually if we took up Paul Trinka up there, we didn't get the right house. <laughs> Scotty said it looked the same the money. He well Scotty would know. It didn't face Pedro, it faced the valley, it faced north. But anyway, so we beautiful view. We did practice a lot yeah. up there, and um, once again, you know, we got one gig. We got a Detroit gig, and um, I think it was Kobo Arena. Wow, wow, big pack. It was a big deal, yeah. and we got a huge reception from Detroit. The only problem was that, um, and that's where you see all that those iconic pictures, like the boots and you sure, know, all that sure. stuff. The only problem was that the Freeze insisted that we not do any encores. And so, because he thought that made us look like big stars. But what, what in fact happened was it pissed the crowd off. Yeah, like kind of stuck up. Yeah. And they, other than that, you have a piano for that gig? Um, yeah, Bob Sheff? Yeah, I believe we, had, we did. I think we added Bob Sheff. That was the first gig where we added yeah. Sheff. Whose idea? My idea, because I, I figured I needed some, you know, the guitar being by itself, you need a little something, and um, so, and I always really loved the way he played, so we called him up and, and got him out and rehearsed with him, and then we rehearsed up there with him, so that worked for a while, but, but Bob... You come back, you start doing some uh, we did some Hollywood whiskey, gigs, whiskey, whiskey gigs and stuff, later. 
but that was the only gig in that at that time frame. And uh, like I say, it went from you know ecstasy to, to sort of a bummer, you know, yeah, right, right. because of no no uh, no encores. Yeah. And um, and then kind of after that, we fell out with the main man organization altogether. Bob don't stay with you either, because you end up getting. Well, we didn't. Scotty Thurston, right? Well, got to for a while. A few he, times now. For a while, he you know yeah. about this. This is cockpit for practice. We are practice. Well, the uh, at first we did though. We we had Bob Chef come out for our first gigs at the Whiskey. Yeah. And a couple other places, but he very quickly realized that he just couldn't hang with his band. You know? <laughs> it was really bad. And, I mean, you know, you know how we, well, I know you don't know how we were, but it was, it was really tough. You know, I've heard <laughs> some things. <laughs> he was, he was fun though. He would, he tried to, you know, by then, of course, we're wearing lots of makeup, yeah, and, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And, and, and uh, he tried to, you know, you know, Bob was not a, a naturally kind of cool guy. And so he tried to be cool. He put he put Christmas tree lights in his hair, <laughs> and he would turn them on, and they would flash and stuff <laughs> when he was playing. And um, <laughs> after a while, I, I forget what the what the final thing was, but he, I think he just said he just had enough. And yeah. So luckily, uh, by then in the in the in the. There was a period of time, maybe four weeks or something like that, where I was, I was fired from the band. Oh, you got the, by, you said thrown under the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, well, that was basically. It was. It was a combination of things. But Lee Black Trowers hated me because his his good buddy was Serena Fox, was my girlfriend for a while, and then that didn't go too well, and. Um, and she went back to New York, and so he always had it in for me, and and, and so I was an easy scapegoat because I was you no know, angel, and and so basically I got fired for a while, and during the time when I was out on my own, well uh, I was actually living at my girlfriend's house. Um, he, um, I, I met I met a, a couple of guys that were forming a band, and I was thinking I might play with them. We were at Capitol Records one day and um, listening to this session, and Thurston was playing in it, and so that was kind of the most valuable thing that came out of the whole thing because I could Scott see Thurston. Scott was a cool guy and yeah. he could play well, and so so I I got I got his contact information, and when we reformed, which didn't take that long, I asked him to come play with us, and so that he played with us to the end of right, that right. of that era. Yeah, he's on Metallic KO. Yeah. Is that Bob Sh- Bob Chef on the recording of Cock in My Pocket? Some people have said yes. Some have said it's Thurston. I don't. I think it's Thurston because I don't think I had written that song yet. Um, I, I doubt it. But Jeff. Um, well, like I say, he didn't last that long. I, I can't really remember all the tunes we were playing at that time, but he made it through one set of, of whiskey games. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the time period we're talking about is pretty compressed. Yeah, it really is. A lot of shit happened in yeah, a very right. short it amount of time. Yeah. 
This is the last gigs in 74. Yeah. 73 is like when well, the record's it was, done. It was, it was, yeah, it was kind of like 72 to 74. Right, two years. Yeah, not, not a long time. <laughs> Intense. And you're a young man. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I, I wasn't 25 yet. Yeah, yeah. you're early 20s. Wow. And then to have the Svengali type. So finally, they scissor you guys. They take yeah. the clothes. Well, right. So the, so the first thing they do is dump me. And then they realize very shortly after, less than four weeks later, oh, it's not just him. They're all fucked up. Right. No. You got to tell them about the boots when you're walking the gig. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is no, this story is no longer a secret, but it is funny. So the um, preparing for the gig, you know, we needed to gear up our stuff, our gear, you know, our, yeah. what we're going to wear. So we went to you know some local Hollywood designers and not people and so forth. And I, I wanted to wear Same boots. Thing I do. <laughs> I, I went to I wanted to wear some boots so I went to this pretty famous Hollywood boot maker and and I told him you know what I wanted I wanted these these black boots with the kind of the gold snake skin up the front that would go up the front and they had to be platforms of course in those days yeah right and uh, I wanted them to be calf high and, and he tried to talk me out of that, but I, that's what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. I was going to have it. And so I, I ordered them, but they took a long time to make. And so the time I got them, I didn't have very little time. I, I tried on, like, without putting on the whole boot, I tried to feed to make sure they fit and everything. And they did. And so so we go to Ann, we go to Ann Arbor where we were staying for that gig and practicing and so forth. And what I come to find out was that you couldn't, there's a reason why people don't make calf high tight boots, you couldn't sit down in the boots, <laughs> right, up. You're, you're up, you know, you're just up, and and so I'm really screwed because I hadn't thought this thing through at all, this is, this is a classic stooge thing, <laughs> right, goof, and so here here, here we are, I'm, I'm, you know, these are my, this is my costume, and I can't sit down. And so how am I going to get to the gig? Yeah. Right? In and, the boat. How are you going to yeah, ride exactly. in the car? Exactly. And so, so I ended up having to lay in the van, down, lay flat in the van. And, you know, of course, this was hysterically funny for Ronnie and Scott, right? <laughs> and and, uh, and then when, the, when we got there, they had to lift me out of the van, and I had to stand up for the rest of the yeah. time until it you was... You can tell in the pictures, like, <laughs> there's a rod up your back or something. So anyway, they when they fired me, they you know they kept all that stuff in a trunk, and um, when they fired me, they wouldn't give it to me. Oh, not that I really wanted it, but I wanted the costume and stuff. Sure. But anyway, I didn't get it, and, and uh, they took the ovation guitar, which was also probably a blessing. That's right. You got an ovation. I see it in the pictures. Yeah. I never see you playing it. But I see it sitting on. The I think I played it on one song. I see it sitting on the side of the stage. It was kind of the backup guitar. Okay. But it was really after I got it, I realized it was crap. Terrible. And so I, I really didn't play it much. It ended up uh, 
Well, no, I'm sorry. It was that wasn't it. There was a what? What was the um, the guitar that was clear plastic? Dan Armstrong. Dan Armstrong. I had one of those, which was also crap. But I used that a lot for the freakouts where I'd be banging the guitar. Yeah, right. You know, so sturdy. I, yeah. You know, yeah. But they didn't get my Les Paul. And, um, they took those guitars. They took the clothes. Mm-hmm. And then what you guys do? Well, so then we. Um, what I did first was I I had no no skills yeah. and no means of support. So I started going to unemployment, yeah. and uh, which they would give me in those days. Um, but they wanted you to go to a job counselor every time. Sure. And so they, they had a list of a printout of, of all the jobs that employers were asking to fill. And, uh, you know, I would, you know, they'd ask me what I could do, and I basically couldn't do anything except play the guitar. Yeah. And, and so they finally got down the list and, and found this projectionist. <laughs> so, so I went in for the job, and basically it's the porno theater, yeah, right. and, and so I became the projectionist at the porno theater, and, and uh, that was my job. And was the band do gigs after the main man? Yeah, they did. They, I think they had, uh, they had, was it, a, I, I, you know, some of this is a blur to me because sure, I wasn't sure, involved sure. in it much, but I think, I think they went out with like, Tornado Turner or somebody like that, and then be red. Or yeah, whoever, cats, whoever yeah. they went out with, um, it was it was god awful, and they couldn't stand it. The last one ended up being like a, kind of a drama, a play. Where Iggs got Ronnie dressed in a. Oh no, that's that's later on. Yeah, yeah, that's the last one I think. Yeah, that's 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 a whole other story. <laughs> um, no, that, so we get. They they uh, so they get kicked out, yeah, and they come looking me up right away, you know, and I'm 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 looking. I'm, You're showing movies. I'm, I'm showing porno <laughs> movies and thinking, well, it should be this. You know, <laughs> no matter what happens, it's got to be better than this. So you make a band with Scotty and Ronnie. So we we, we just reformed the band. Oh. and uh, and and, and, and with Dig, with Dig, okay, and, and so we reformed the band and. Oh, they got fired from the main. They band. all got yeah. fired, yeah. right? And so, um, so they found they found Helen Reddy's manager, who was uh, Jeff Wall, who was their manager, which of course was a very unlikely, you know, <laughs> matchup. But he he put us together with John, a guy named John something. I can't think of it at the moment. And John Myers, and John Myers turns out is the brother of the first wife of Jackson Brown, <laughs> who committed suicide. Oh. So Jackson was not real popular in that family. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, he was a really nice guy, John Meyer, and he he's the one that, that hired uh, this guy Chris Ehring as our roadie, and uh, got you know so we got started playing again. And later, years later, Chris Ehring actually introduced me to my current wife, my only wife. Uh, but that's different. Um, anyway, we with those guys they started. Uh, you know, sort of getting us to work. So that started a whole new series of whiskey gigs, and they were very, very successful. And they, we had to add dates and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. There were huge lines outside. Right, right. You know, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, 
and a lot of that was recorded. There's a lot of sure, sure. out there of, uh, of those deals. Great shot. Yeah. Oh, oh. franchise. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but that's what's kind of murky to me. What happened? Because that was kind of success. You guys bounced back a little. And then what happened? Well, the drogas. What happened was um, we we um, we started playing a lot. Yeah. But but um, the more we played, you know, Jim had this sort of cyclical thing because um, he would, you know, he would, and he's still, I think he's a little bit still like this, but he's learned how to manage it a little better. He would, you know, become very frenetic and, and productive, but then he would get really down and, you know, start start using drugs and stuff, and it, it was very unpredictable. And so we 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 had equal measures of success and fuck ups, yeah. you know, sure. and we the, it culminated in in uh, uh, the 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 Jeff Wall organization really kind of got fed up with us. So we got another manager in New York, and these guys were were all business. I mean, they were all about just turning the buck. And so they put us out on this tour that I like to call the Death March, which was just one gig after another, going from one city to another, never, you know, coming home for you know weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. And uh, and we had no really ability to. I mean, the money all went to them, and then later would come to you, but only in the form of just enough to eat, you know. And, and <laughs> so nobody really had any money. Yeah. And we we had to do a lot of weird stuff, skip out on hotel bills and you know, all kinds of stuff. But but yeah, any money that metallic KO gig. Yeah. Any money we had went to drugs or, or whatever. And, um, yes. That success in whiskey. Really wasn't translating on, out in the other no, states. No, it didn't. It didn't because the whiskey deal. You know, in Hollywood, they're pretty progressive. They just right, like, right. They and there like was a scene. Show. Yeah, yeah, it was a right. scene. But the, the the fact was is we we were continuously writing new material, mm -hmm. including even then. And so nobody really knew the songs we were playing. Right, right. We weren't playing raw power, right. the album raw power that someone might have gotten a copy of at some point, might actually recognize one song. Right. We played all new stuff. Yeah, all right, this. right. Push so the people were just like, you know, you know, here's this, here's this guy running around without his shirt on, you know, in the audience, and he's playing all this music nobody's ever heard, right. and so it's not not exactly what, a, a recipe for entertainment, you know, and, and so we were just, you know, sort of just playing for ourselves, really, and uh, and it didn't translate at all, so that, that just became more and more sort of uh, desperate. So the Detroit gig... The, the Detroit gig was, um, you know, at kind of the tail end of a really long tour. Right. And these guys in New York would always try to book gigs around other gigs to make more money, which is not all bad, but they weren't doing their homework. And so um, they booked us into this place called the Rock and Roll Farm kind of one or two nights before that gig. 
and I was a biker bar, and um, so we started playing it, and and it, it went out in the audience, and you know, here's a here's a kind of a line of bikers kind of leaning up to the back of the of the, of the wall, yeah, you know. And it comes up and starts getting in their face, and, and this one guy just hauled off and just cold cocked him, and and it, it was really actually a pretty scary night because we weren't sure we were going to get out of there because um, they they kind of things went from bad to worse, um, but we did we got out of there and and I don't even think they paid us, but um, that translated into some. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't even know whether, to this day, whether it was the bikers themselves or other people who had heard about that or what. But then they, that gig, they started throwing stuff and. They show up at this, what ends up being the final gig. Yeah. Like some kind of revenge. Or... Yeah, and, and and I think I think it's probably the the first that I've ever heard of like that, and I think it. it it's unfortunate, but it turned into the later punk scene. Yeah, yeah. You know, where people started doing that stuff, you know, spitting on people and throwing shit at them. Yeah, right. You know, what a great legacy, you know. Well, the band calls it quits. Uh, well, nobody had to say anything. I mean, it was just clear that um, this wasn't working. Yeah, right. And so um, that w- the band kind of disintegrated after that. Now, you, you go back to L.A.? Yeah, Bill Deacon and I are back in L.A. Yeah, and because um, not too long is Kill City, right? A year or two. The band broke up. The guy Ashton's um, eventually moved back to Ann Arbor, right. and Jim and I decided, okay, well, let's try to make another album. I know Elton John was interested in us, so we thought we might be able to get something going with Rocket, and so we made. With the help of Ben Edmonds, who, who lined us up with Jimmy Webb's studio, uh, we made what would become Kill City. And um, we couldn't get anybody interested. And so many years later, um, by then I had uh, actually, we had another guy we were trying to get as a manager named Bennett Glotzer, who's very famous attorney manager guy in Hollywood and he one of the first things he told us to do is yeah is to um, is to go just go ask him for the tapes you know so we, I drove up and asked asked him for the tapes and they said oh here you know and they gave them to me and so we we, we had the tapes but we ended up not using Bennett Glotzer as our manager and so I had the tapes, and and, and then Iggy ended up uh, going with Bowie out. You know, Bowie took him under his wing. And uh, so years later, Greg Shaw was interested in all this stuff. And so he, he kind of bankrolled me to mix it and add some instruments on it and finish it. And that's what I did, and, and it became Kill City. But after that, you worked with uh, Ig for New Values. Right. So anyway, well, what started out was uh, when he was with um, Bowie, they hated that album when it first came out, and they thought that it, you know, they thought that it was unprofessional. No, but how did it get made? No, I'm talking about Kill City here. Oh, so Kill City, yeah. When I released Kill City with yeah. Greg, they hated it. They thought it was unprofessional, and they really made a big stink about it. 
Uh, but but then a weird thing started happening. All oh, the kids started buying it, right? And they were buying it more than his stuff. And so he was re- shopping for a new record deal with, with Bowie helping him. And and they pointed to the success of this other album right. as being, uh, you know, there as being a reason to, to sign him. And he ended up getting a deal out of it. So then all of a sudden he started liking it. And it, it is true. It's probably it probably is the first real indie record yeah, ever. Yeah. Um, so it has that going for it. So what do we got? One seventy one. Um, three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen. 40, 36, 9, 12, 14, 31 is 50, so it's about 50. Wouldn't 60 each be 180? Yeah, but that's the tip's already on there. So, so you're a little over? Yeah, 60 would be too much? 50, probably. Yeah, 55, 55, 55. Do you have change? Fifty or can I owe you three? You can owe me three. Okay. We have a lot of change here. The bank, uh, the bank, the bank of Williamson is uh, bank getting is. depleted. Yeah, I'm not getting my. Per- did you get your per diems from Henry? I did. Yeah. Fifty-five. Okay. Well, I got to run. Okay. Do you know how to get back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I walked it earlier today. I so. Thanks for inviting me over. You're welcome. I'd like to give you one of these. Um, all of us in the band have been influenced by your various things. And our drummer, Eric, has played with you before um, when you played in San Jose, I think, at the Cactus. Dave uh, Grove got sick. Yeah. He was in a, I think it was with Clay. San Jose. No, it was with Sloan. Oh, Sloan. Yeah. yeah, Canadian guys. No, not Sloan. Sloan. S-L-O-E. Slowberry. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the service, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. okay see, you see you over there. So anyway, um, where are we? So we released Kill City. Yeah. And uh, they're surprised by the they're results. They're surprised, but they eventually adjust to it, and, and they liked it. So then, uh, you know. Time goes by, and, and Iggy and Bowie aren't doing stuff together anymore. And now Iggy's got a deal on Arista, and so there. I think Ben Edmonds was also suggesting this, but Iggy was trying. You know, Iggy's not the easiest guy to work with in the studios. And typically, producers, you know, don't sit. They don't work well together with him. And so he was looking for a producer that could work with him and I think he and he's told me this recently and so I didn't realize it at the time but what he was really looking at was for me to write some new songs for him wow. and I wrote one but uh, I didn't realize it at the time that that was my real job so anyway but he wanted me to values. yeah so he wanted me to produce him too and because uh, I had been working in a studio and so forth and so I, I had some skills and, and so on and so I did that and I brought that album in under budget you know I think it's a polished effort you know we, we worked we worked hard on that album and it, it, it holds up well um, but but that so that was good but then the subsequent album Soldier right. was again I was asked to help him because of the it. results of New Values well except for 
Oh, okay. Receipt? Okay. Thank you. Um, but the, the record company wasn't happy with new values because it was too clean. And they were all, you know, English people in the punk scene. You know, oh, right, right. They wanted another raw power or another kill city. Mm-hmm. And what we delivered them was a very polished effort. You know, the guitars were recorded cleanly and the mix was, and you could hear everything. And, and uh, anyway, um, that's what they wanted to do. So I, I you know, I'm game. Um, but they, there was a, it, it, so it was a very concerted effort by the record company to get the kind of album they wanted. So they said, okay, we should do this in, in the UK with English guys. You know, we want that sound and so on. And you know, you did it in, in, on Rob Power. You can do it again. You know, kind of a thing. And and I, I, I should have probably turned it down. Well, to begin with. Iggy didn't want to, uh, to bring Scott Thurston over because he didn't want to pay him as much as Scotty wanted. Yeah. And so, uh, so that to begin with, that was a that was a blow because Scotty's a really good musician and he adds a lot to the party. Yeah. So anyway, now we had the situation of having an all new band of guys and. and uh, so I go over there and spend some time in London trying to coalesce this band, whatever it was. And it, it's kind of a funny story because I still hadn't been playing guitar at all. And, you know, we had lunch with Elvis Costello one day, and, and I'm going, you know, like, well, you know any good guitar players? You know, <laughs> he started cracking up. He goes, this is hysterical. You are asking me if I know any good guitar players? Why don't you play? Yeah, exactly. And and um, I probably should have, but I didn't. And I didn't. I just didn't want to. So play with Kill City, you you had stopped. Yeah, but about that time, I kind of stopped. And I, I mean, I played a few new things on that on that album. I, I mean, I, that's all my guitar on that album. But I was not really that active anymore. And and then it sort of dwindled off from there. Um, but. Uh, so the soldiers' effort was they wanted us to go up and stay at the studio in Wales and all these these musicians that just went from bad to worse. And and, and then, well, I was just very unhappy about the whole thing. And, and um, also I was, so I, I guess I took the attitude of, okay, well, if I have to do this, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do something different. You know, so I... There was new technology available, the so-called Simpty time code that would allow you to sync up multiple machines, you know, and I could have 48 tracks to work with, and I started getting into that, and and this was driving the musicians crazy, and so, you know, I, and and then the other thing that was happening was that, that because they couldn't play, I couldn't get any takes from them, and so I would just have them do take after take after take. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, and and so the musicians really were were they, they were not openly, but were becoming mutinous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 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 anyway, here's this this really uh, terrible bad situation going on, and, and the, the the tracks were we were done with the basic tracks, and you know they weren't that hot, and. and um, 
So by the time all this had occurred, you know, we everything had built up to a fever pitch, and it all sort of blew up one one weekend. David Bowie came to visit, and uh, you know, because he came because he thought, well, I don't know why, but anyway, he came and, and he wanted to sing on the album and do stuff, and so you know, we did all that, and, and that wasn't all bad, but it sort of culminated in, in this. It, it became a kind of vortex for for me to be, you know, sort of done, and, and, and then he was sort of done with me, because I was driving him crazy, because I couldn't get any, any, his vocals just sucked, and I, so I couldn't get him to do a performance, and, and meanwhile I'm busy trying to get the band to lay down tracks, and that wasn't working, so you know how impatient he becomes, and so it, eventually, I, as I like to say, I quit, and he fired me all in the same time, so... With that, was that the last? For, you got into another line of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went on and, and finished an engineering degree and, and went to work in the Silicon Valley at, in an electronics business. And yeah. I was. I mean, I how was, quick did that happen? It it took a few years. And right. I, you went to school. I was going to school when okay. we did New Values, um, and it took a few years to get through all that, and then then I got hired right out of school and moved. Mm -hmm. My wife, I knew while I got married, and my wife and I moved up to the Silicon Valley, and yeah. and I really never regretted that. I mean, that that was an exciting, uh, an exciting thing. Well, especially that time was very exciting in that industry. Yeah. You know, the personal computer was just starting, and um, you know, I was young and it was new, and and. Uh, so it's been a good run, you know, but um, but you, could, you kind of stopped playing. But I stopped playing, yeah. Yeah, but you kind of did with the Kill City, but then need no producing either, just no more music. Yeah, I just said, just you, know, that I, you know, I just didn't have a... a What's this about the Hawaiian that, guitar? I heard that you though you got into some... Yeah, and so, so the last few years I got, um, I... We, my wife and I started traveling more and more often to Hawaii, so I got interested in the music. And, and uh, one day I was I was shopping around at a swap meet and, and ran across this koa guitar. And it's a koa wood, and it's, it was beautiful old guitar though. And so I'm, I was looking in the hole in there and saw you know H Weisenborn in there, and I didn't really know who he was other than I knew he was kind of important. And and the guy selling it didn't have a clue right, right. so he, he really sold it to me for virtually nothing and it you know it needed some work and everything but and then I found out you know later you know H. Herman Weisenborn is a very famous luthier in the 20s and he he made these wonderful you know lap steel Hawaiian style guitars that are to this day you know the the kind of the, the gold standard yeah, of, of very that much style design. acoustic style and he also made some Spanish neck guitars, which is what I bought. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, with that, I started getting uh, interested in, in the so-called black key guitar, yeah. which is you know multiple to open tunings mm -hmm. and so forth. And uh, so I started. This guitar was like was was really kind of a magical sounding guitar, and it it, it so it talked to me, uh, you know, and I got got me you know, stimulated to play it more and more. And um, so I kind of found the music again, if you will. And so I, I was doing, I was happily doing that. Um, if 
five years ago. I think he saw the Stooges in Long Beach. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. In my in my so you heard about the my electronic my electronics uh, job. Yeah. I had um, a meeting in Long Beach at the same time, and Scott was living in Long Beach at that time, and because um, his wife was working, still does work near there, but Scott decided you know it'd be easier commute on his wife, and he ended up not staying there. But anyway. He was there then, and, and so my old girlfriend, Evita, had called and said, you know, Iggy's coming to Long Beach, and, uh, because she knew I was coming to Long Beach, and, and uh, so... Had you heard about Coachella and the band? No, no, not really. I mean, I had... I had not really. Because I'm not... I wasn't tuned into all that yeah, stuff, sure. but I knew that they were... You guys were playing, and so I thought, well, okay, well, shit, listen... We didn't, you know, we couldn't get a hold of anybody, so we, we couldn't get, I'm not even sure if they would have put us on the guest list, but we couldn't even find out. But I, I um, Scott and I just walked in, you know, bold as, as anybody else, you know, through the back gate and just said, you know, we're with the students, you know, and, and they just let us right in. And I guess two old guys like us went, why would, why would we be bullshitting about this? And um, so, uh, yeah, we got to, you know, see all you guys and then see you guys play. But you see an egg van and soldiers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was a completely different guy. And, and you was, hadn't really uh, I, I had I had seen him play with, um, with Whitey in that whole lineup as a solo when, oh, he, yeah. played, when he played the Fillmore uh, okay. years before that. Not much contact. No, almost no contact. The only contact we would have is... Um, you know, we we have we have some common publishing together and so forth. So business things like that, every so often we chat about them. But no, I mean we were pretty done with each other after Soldier, and um, so really this whole more recent uh, contact is a is a kind of a. Uh, oh well, what'd you think of that gig though? I thought years? it was great. I thought Iggy was fantastic. I mean, he was like much different than the he, old days. Yeah, he was. He was. He was. He did an impressive performance. My and mom saw it. My mom came to that gig. Your mom did. And she yeah. goes, "Yeah, interesting man, Mr. Yeah, Bob. yeah, he yeah. Why? <laughs> well, he he uh, he did a great job, and the band sounded like the Stooges. I mean, it just sounded like itself. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was it was fine. I mean, for me, it's interesting to hear somebody from those days see yeah. us in those. But I had no interest in playing with the students. Sure, sure. No, so I had never dreamed I would be doing that. Um, that was five years ago. Yeah, that was five and years ago. And then this last January, Ronnie got killed at the heart. Right, exactly. Yeah, but meanwhile, like I say, I've been playing uh, the slack key guitar yeah, yeah. and so forth. So you were getting into music that way. I was getting into it that way. And, and uh, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really that 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 rusty if you will i hadn't been playing that style but you know i could play music music's yeah. music yeah right. and and um so once once uh but ronnie, called you once ronnie had died yeah. a little while later well he called me you know letting me know about ronnie's death and we discussed briefly me coming to the funeral, but I tried. To, I wouldn't really feel right about it without contacting the family. And of course, as you know, um, on a good day, Scotty's difficult to reach. And so I, I tried my best, both he and Kathy. But I'm sure they were getting tons of phone calls, and you know they just couldn't deal with it. So I never heard back. So I didn't come. 
Um, but later on, you know, he called me. You know, he, he had called me again and, and asked me to play. Would I be interested in playing? And at that time, I uh, wasn't really. Um, I was. I told him, you know, look, I'll do the Hall of Fame if you guys ever do it. You know, stuff like that. But I really, you know, I don't really see this as being something for me to do. But then, very shortly after that, the. Uh, the company, Sony, uh, who I was working for, started giving out these early retirement packages. And so they advanced all your retirement benefits by like five years, you know, and I'm, so I'm like going, well, let's see, I'm turning 60 this year, and, you know, I wasn't going to work that many more years anyway, and, and so I, I would be working for free if I didn't take this. And so I said, okay, well, I'll, I'm... Then I started really seriously thinking about taking that package, and then I, I started thinking, well, you know, I can't, um, I mean, basically the Stooges couldn't do this without me because I was the last available Stooge, right? And so I thought to myself, you know, hey, I know these guys really well. I go back a long way with them, and, and uh, I can do it, so, you know, why not? You know, let's do it. And so, so eventually, the next time I talked to him, which is about March or April, I said, you know, I'm in. Let's do it. I mean, we, we had for, you know other discussions about you know what what to expect and everything, but essentially, I said I was in. And so then, then uh, kind of the the uh, I think I my first my my actual retirement was June. I had some things to do for the company. Um, so I, I think I started rehearsing in around July, and then it's sort of, you know the rest. It's been well, I guess we had a first track with you. Yeah. First me, Scotty did one at the end of July, us two. Right, right. And we're doing one with you. And I did August. some locally up, up where I, where I right. live and stuff. So Derek, who was here, you even yeah. did a gig. Exactly. So it's been kind of a progression up until now. and. So here we September are. September with the egg, then another one with us guys, October. On the, then the last two days, one on with the egg, one with us. On the night of the first <laughs> reunion performance. There we go. Thanks so much, James. Yeah, my, my pleasure, man. Everything, man. You know, it's like, uh, ready or not, here we come. <laughs>
from Pedro's show uh, we just heard Raw Power Iggy and the Stooges live in Sao Paulo at the Planeta Terra Festival that was November 7, 2009 first song of the first gig of this new lineup James Williamson on guitar uh, 
Before that, we had Sonic Youth doing Kill Your Idols. Ahead of that was Death Trip from Raw Power, Iggy and the Stooges. The mix James Williamson gave to me uh, that's been uh, remastered. And uh, then, of course, part two of the spiel with him. Uh, in uh, Sao Paulo, maybe a couple hours before you heard Raw Power. Uh, pretty intense, you know, when I think about it, how <laughs> all transpired like that. I'd like to thank James Williamson very much for uh, spending time. You know, that was during his chow. You can kind of hear some chow sounds. So much respect and a very grateful Watt from Pedro. Uh, end of the second hour of the November 11, 2009 Watt from Pedro show. Hold tight for hour three. November 11, 2009. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
from Pedro's show started off the third hour with a band from England from the early 70s called T2 a friend of mine Anton from Ireland turned me on to this uh, a song called No More White Horses then we heard At Beef's House by Seven Foot Buffer and thirdly Something untitled, but recorded September 21st, 2009. That's Shiner, Brother Taka's band, featuring uh, Ms. Motoko Honda on organ there. And uh, I got some uh, music from uh, what used to be called Yugoslavia. They're different. Uh, they're separate. They had a divorce, you know, and now they're... Uh, Six different countries, five, six. Hmm. Let's see, Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Montenegro, Macedonia. Oh, okay, six. <laughs> A lot from Pedro Show.
Everywhere is silence and there is no fear Together it's unreal Bad luck's barely needed Our life is now on sale Do you think it is okay? Sometimes you just have to try Something different, happier and wise Sometimes you just have to try Some good deeds, some happiness and wise So just forget the science Now embrace your fear He's always so real Good news never need them No one ourselves What's written in ourselves Sometimes You just have to try Something different, happier and wise Sometimes You just have to try Some good deeds, some happiness and wise
is love Every once in a while Each one is free To scream, to yell, to come or shout Dark is the
Wad from Pedro Show. You just heard Sprovad by Plemi. Before that was Shadow and Traveler by Bad Taste. Ahead of that, Full Bladder from Katera. In front of that, Fear and Science by the Lo-Fi Calvinists. And we started off with Crayons by the Disconsolate Manufactory. Um, actually, all five of them bands are from Montenegro. So just one of the uh, uh, those lands, republics. Is it, I think they're uh, separate now. <laughs> uh, anyway, interesting music. That's what I like about it. Music can come from all kinds of places, even with major nightmare hell uh, kind of stuff. And uh, one day I want to play Montenegro. I've played those other ones I mentioned, except for Bosnia. I want to play there too. And I'd like to play the other ones again. I like to play everywhere. And there's going to be Stooges gigs coming in 2010. I don't know those lands especially, but I know there's a few uh, east of uh, our right coast, across the Atlantic, Europe, Europe, right, and England, of course. Ah, uh, here's something good from England, Watt from Pedro Show. How you gonna dress? Sit in the tensions of the people on the beating stand. You ready to impress? All I salute you, never fixing casualties be sweet.
from Pedro show a lot of music I'm playing now because you know I had an hour and a half straight spiel very interesting though thanks again Mr. James Williamson uh yeah start out that chunk with something great from England just a duet uh bass drum called the nice sharp pencils in a song called put some clothes on and something from France uh, a band called The Cosmic Plot with Flanger in the Night. And then some more stuff from England I like a lot. Uh, Black Mamba Beat and uh, with uh, Beat Over Brains. 
great tune. Great uh, recording technique, too. Uh, David Bowie, uh, raw power uh, consultant. Raw power knowledge, Mr. David Bowie. <laughs> I don't know, just a guess at that. And then we ended up with a band from Orange County, DMF. Got to play with them on Halloween in their neck of the woods. The doll hut and something called truck. And uh, here's something from Canada. What from Peter's show. Soviet Union maintaining an impressive lead over the United States in manned orbital flights. During a 24-hour period in mid-August, the Soviets placed two men into similar orbits, so similar, in fact, that they were able to see each other. The first of the space twins to go into orbit was Andrian Nikolaev in Vostok 3. This is what he sounded like as he reported back to Earth. Just over 23 hours later, Pavel Popovich in Vostok 4 was placed in an orbit that brought him within sight of Nikolai. These two men traveled millions of miles in space concurrently, spent a total of more than... 
160 hours in space. Despite the Soviet achievement, President Kennedy, in the last delivered at Houston White Stadium, said, No nation which expects to be the leader of other nations can expect to stay behind in this race for space. And this generation does not intend the founder and the backlog of the coming age of space. We mean to be a part of it. We mean to lead it. Then the president charted the free world's first goal in space. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one which we're willing to accept and one we intend to win. Earlier in the year, after repeated delays, the United States launched its first astronaut into orbit. Five, four, three, ignition. Two, one, zero, ignition. Lift off. Lift off. The MA6 Oh 
Pedro show. Yeah, start off with something from Canada, from the Kings of Lower Town, Step Inside Our Lives. And then something from uh, Joshua Tree here in Cali, out in the desert. From uh, Paul Anker, we got Tank, and uh, that's for, uh, it's a father and son team, and that's for the dads there, dad, who, uh, well, it's Veterans Day today, so that's for him. And then we ended up with uh, Jimmy Ohio doing Quiet Sound. Uh, yeah, father and son team, Paul Anker, Larry and Leo. Good cats. And uh, uh, we're coming on the end of the November 11, 2009 edition of the Watt from Pedro show. Again, big thanks to James Williamson for doing that spiel with me while we were down in Brazil. In 10 days, I leave uh, for two weeks in Italy to do six gigs and make an album. And then New Year's gig in Tokyo, make an album, Brothers, Sisters, Daughter, second one. Thanks for having me aboard. And remember, keep your powder dry. <laughs>